0: Well, hello, radio fans. I know I've been away for a while, and I'm sorry. I am so sorry, but this thing called life keeps getting in the way of my fun of hanging out with you guys. And, uh, man, it's been wild. I was in the U.S. for a while, Nashville, Baltimore, Annapolis. And, uh, of course, when I got home from all of that running around and playing music and doing all the things that I do when I'm over there, I wound up getting some sort of flu cold virus that I managed to infect my entire family with when I got home. It's a lovely thing. And no, it was not COVID-19 or 20 or any of the numbers. It was just a regular kind of flu bug that was going around. And uh, I remember when those things happened in the old days, you just were, oh, you know, got a flu, got this, got that. And um, now it's like everybody gets kind of freaked out about it. I, I was freaked out about it. I was like, oh no, do I have it again? Because I had it before. I was one of the lucky winners to get it the first time around in March 2020. It was quite serious, quite uh, nearly fatal. And I have been being very careful not to get it again. But no, it was just a regular flu. But it did knock me on my back for a while. And it took me out of my my, uh, rhythm to do my job, my music, and to talk to you guys. But here we are back again. And it's radio. And I was thinking about talking a little bit about radio again. You know, I was thinking about the original concept of the idea of me hanging here, talking to you guys, I was talking about my, my days on small town radio. And I think we'll continue with that today. One of the interesting things is, like I told you, when I, when I first moved to Virginia, when I first went down to do the radio thing, it was my first time away from home. And I was staying in a a rooming house that they had set me up with with a lovely woman named Mrs. Hopewell. And I had a room and had a sink in my room. And uh, then it was a shared toilet at the end of the hallway of the second floor of this house, because we were staying, of course, in, in, in the lady's house. This is pre Airbnb and all of that stuff. We were just a bunch of guys that were living up there in her children's old bedrooms. I mean, I still had I guess, a lot of her son's stuff there in my bedroom. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it was my first time away from home. I had a bed and a dresser. I can't remember if there was a closet or not. I don't think so. Anyway, I lived up there. You know, there were other people living up there. And I'm, at this time, I was painfully shy, And the fellows that were living up there, I mean... They were older than me, for one thing. And I, um, I remember walking by one of the guy's rooms one night. I remember I recognized the smell coming from the room that the guy that Miss Hopewell had referred to as the professor. It was some kind of alcoholic beverage, but I couldn't place exactly what it was because I had never been around anybody who had had a taste for red wine before. So I didn't recognize this like rich, earthy smell. It seemed dangerous. It was coming from the room. My mom didn't drink at all and my dad was a devout Pabst Blue Ribbon beer kind of guy. Wine in dad's world was for French frogs and well, we won't say the other thing that he would say because it's not politically correct these days. The professor was a teacher At the local community college, a college professor, just the type of most likely commie bastard that my dad would have pegged for a red wine drinker, you know. I had heard the professor in his room from time to time, usually snoring late at night, but we had never met. The rumor around town was that he was sleeping with one of his students and only showed up at the boarding house to uh, crash once in a while, grab some fresh clothes, and recharge his batteries. There was music and conversation coming from behind the door, so I wondered if it might be the college girl, you know, the fabled college girl. Women in the rooms were absolutely forbidden, but Miss Hopewell was up in Richmond visiting her son, so maybe she was there, you know. Maybe there'd be some excitement for me to hear through the walls, you know. When two voices now, the two voices that I heard now, they broke out in loud laughter. I heard that they were both male voices this time. Come to think of it, no one had ever said that the professor's, you know, partner was a girl. But that thought was not ready to enter my narrow-minded mind at the time. But anyway, just then I heard one of the voices say, well... I haven't met him yet. He's just another one of those kids from the radio station. You know, they they come and go pretty quickly. He looks like one of those hippie types, but he seems okay. He mostly sleeps or plays the guitar in his room. He doesn't seem to go out much, and he keeps to himself most of the time. Well, <laughs> I'm thinking I keep to myself because no one in this backwater ever talks to me. I thought, hey, is it still snowing? Well, it was when I came in, you know. I'm kind of tired of being cooped up inside, one of them said. Let's go outside and throw a few snowballs at each other. What are you, crazy or or drunk? It's freezing out there. Come on, soldier boy. I'm not going to hurt you. So I finally figured out that the other voice, other voice belonged to the third guy that lived upstairs in Hopewell's, the soldier that was stationed at the base across the river. We had never really spoken, but he always smiled when I ran to him in the hallway, and he would always say, hey how they're hanging, how they hanging, kid. And I, I, you know, I'm a bit of a quasi hippie type and I'm scared of anybody in uniform. So I always just kind of squeaked cool, and, and ran. And so I hear, I hear the professor say, come on, general, let's go outside. I'm dying for a smoke and some fresh air. Now, of course, there's a dichotomy in that statement, but it's obvious. I knew that what the professor meant, Miss Hopewell allowed no smoking in the room, so if you wanted to light up, you had to go outside. For that matter, drinking was also forbidden, but that smell, I guess, is easier to hide. As long as you get the empties out before the cleaning lady came, you were okay. Still, it was kind of cool. I mean, hey, these guys were older than me, man. Soldiers and teachers and stuff, and they're breaking the rules. Well, I could use a smoke, one of them said. So I heard him rustling around putting on their coats, and they figured the conversation was over, so no more eavesdropping for me, no more entertainment. Without TV, this is the closest thing I had to any kind of entertainment at all. I was just about to duck under my headphones and listen to probably some Jackson Brown when I hear the general say, hey, is a kid in there? Let's see if he wants to go out. I think I heard him come in, but he's probably asleep. He usually goes to bed pretty early. He has to get up at like three in the morning. Well, let's check. Man, I nearly lost it. On the one hand, I was thrilled to be asked to do anything. On the other hand, I was scared to death to be asked to do anything. But we went outside. They came and knocked on my door, and I stuck my head out. And we went outside, and, you know, me and the professor and the general, um, we had a snowball fight. You know, we had a little snowball fight, and we actually had a lot of fun together. And it was one of the very first examples or times of bonding with other guys except for the kids that I had spent my whole life growing up with in, in my life. It was incredible, really. And it was like, I guess, one of those pivotal moments. It's actually stuck in my head all these years. I mean, a lot of memories from that little tiny radio station. I mean, it they just... I guess it's something to do with that first trip away from home, that first moment that you're out on your own. Now, a lot of my friends, they had gone on to college, and that didn't come until later for me because I just decided I wanted to go right to work. I wanted to be on the radio. So I went to the broadcasting school and got my job, and I was out working, I mean, for the meager wage that I was working for, but I was out there, and it was quite the experience. It's something It's something that's gone, I think. Something that just doesn't exist anymore, that kind of fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants radio. I loved it, which is one of the reasons why I like doing this show so much for you folks, to kind of get those verbal memories, histories, whatever you want to call them, out there. I want people to to kind of remember those days. I mean, there's nothing like... I'm thinking of a time we we used to do um, the Sunday morning religious broadcast, Sunday morning preaching from the Tidewater Independent Baptist Church. It was one of the only things that made any money at the station. Um, Old Charlie, he had put in a hard line. You know, now you have to remember this is way before digital anything. So you have to remember this is a hard line that was wired directly to the church. It was a telephone, and all the announcer had to do was call a phone hooked up to the back of the church where somebody was waiting to pick it up, check to make sure it was the station, and then, and I am not making this up, They sat the receiver down in front of a speaker, and voila, the magic of radio, the Tidewater Independent Southern Baptist Church was on the air. It was, as Charlie said, nearly idiot-proof. Well, unless, of course, some well-meaning Baptist saw the phone lying off the hook and hug it up, or the Tidewater Phone Company was experiencing one of their continuous technical difficulties. Both of these things happened with exhausting regularity. So there was also an emergency tape that you could play. Now, the trouble was the backup tape was a Christmas service from two years before. Now, I figured at this point that even the most feeble-minded shut-in at Tidewater Manor knew that the choir wouldn't be singing Silent Night in the middle of July. Besides, some of the sick that the Reverend Sparrow prayed for during healing time had long since passed on to their reward. But it was dead. The phone line was dead. I'm on the air. It was dead. So I rolled the tape. And the tape had not been rolling for... 30 seconds when the phone light flashed in the studio. And of course, it was the boss. It was hard. He was screaming, of course, screaming at the top of the
1: line. What
0: the hell is wrong with the feed, boy? I don't know. The line is out. Are you sure you've got the switches right? Yeah. There's nothing coming down. Relax. It's cool. I got the backup on before anybody knew anything was up. I can hear that, boy, and it's not cool. Reverend Sparrow said, if I ran that tape again, not only is he not going to pay us this week, he's going to drop us completely and go with kicks across the river. Now you got to get Floyd and tell him to look at the line and you got to do it now. Ah, come on, Art. He's not going anywhere. He's cheap. He won't pay their rates. Besides, I have no idea where Floyd is on a Sunday morning. He jumped on his high horse right then, did art, and he took a hard ride over top of me, let me tell you. First of all, the Reverend Jebediah Sparrow is a minister of the gospel, and I don't know where you come from, boy, but around here, we do not refer to ministers as cheap. Remember now, this is coming from a man that I had heard refer to Reverend Sparrow as that hillbilly snake handler whenever he was late paying his bill. But anyway, he continued. As for Floyd, he's in church. The same damn church that you can't seem to manage to get on the air. Now get your lazy ass up there and tell Floyd to find out what's going on. I resigned myself to my fate, but I felt obliged to put up just a little bit of of a fight, you know. Come on. Boss, why don't you go and tell him you're right by the church. You live there. One, because we're on our way out the door to our own church, and two, and most importantly, I pay you to do it. Now move it, boy. And he slammed the phone down. Um I can't say what I said to the phone after it was slammed down. Well, You know, as soon as I was sure he hung up, I said something that I can't say on the air here, but you can imagine. So now the Tidewater Baptist Church was up in the courthouse, about a half mile, I guess, from the station. I took off at a dead run. It was July. It was Virginia, Tidewater, Virginia. It was shaping up to be a steamer. According to the last Mr. Wizzy temperature check, It was already 85 degrees at about, I don't know, a little past nine. I didn't need to check the wire reports to get the relative humidity. My shirt was stuck to my back before I got ten steps, and the soggy air was flavored with the smell of John over at the diner getting the burgers and fries going in preparation for the after-church crowd. Every now and then, the weak breeze would bring the scent of hickory-smoked Virginia bacon, Because although the rest of the drugstore was closed on Sunday, the Rexall lunch counter was open for breakfast, apparently to feed the faithful, to turn a buck. Apparently that excused the sin of, you know, working on Sunday. Anyway, there was a lovely, joyful Baptist hymn winding down with a nice flowery organ coda as I hesitated outside the church's deep walnut doors when I got there. I mean, I got dressed at 3 a.m. I figured that the only people that see me at work were maybe Charlie, the Sunday preachers, and the Faithful Four Gospel Quartet. There were definitely no women going to see me, and the boss wouldn't be coming in. So I had thrown on a stained with God knows what Rolling Stone 72 t shirt, some baggy shorts, some flip flops that were falling apart, and pulled my frizzy hair through an Orioles baseball cap. Now, I felt a little strange. Going into church dress that way. But hey, it wasn't my idea. It was a duty called, man. So the foyer of the church was, you know, dark and cool. And it was really nice, you know, a welcome respite from the heat. I was dripping with sweat that was puddling on that lovely polished oak floor. I was looking at him, you know, scanning the pews for Charlie, and I spotted him about halfway up on the left-hand side. He was sitting husband close to a very small, almost dainty woman in a faded but really lovingly pressed Sunday dress. This was the fabled Verna. After all of his tales about his fire-breathing wife, I could hardly believe that this frail Virginia bird was Verna, the crusher. Now, there was some rustling as the choir and congregation settled after the hymn, and I thought that that pause would be the best moment to catch his attention, so I snuck up the outer aisle until I was crouched right next to his pew. I grinned to myself. I'd never seen the old man in a suit before. Now, there was a large woman. I'll just go with that. A large woman with an enormous daffodil hat on the outside of the pew, and then there was Verna. And then it was Charlie. Charlie! I hissed Charlie. The large woman and Verna cut their eyes in my direction. The daffodil hat woman all of a sudden wrinkled her nose like she had smelled something very rotten. Charlie did not flinch. Charlie! I whispered a little louder. Verna leaned over and whispered sharply in his ear the old man kept his eyes locked on Reverend Sparrow with a red flush creeping right above his frayed but spray-starched white collar. I would swear to this day that his lips never moved, not once. But his voice was laced with iron ore when he said, Get out. But Charlie, the line's down and are... Again that whisper now filled with barely controlled rage i said get out boy i'll tend to it after the service but charlie he looked at me for the first and only time that morning and i knew that the discussion such as it had been was over and uh, the reverend was calling for men to help collect the morning love offering. Charlie rose stiffly to his feet as I ran out the back door. And as I ran out from the corner of my eye, I saw the phone, resting nicely there in its cradle. Now, I mentioned, um, I mentioned uh, Wizzy Cola. There was a, Whizzy Cola was a brand down there. Um, you know, it was a local brew out to compete with Coke and Pepsi and had a slogan, it so it go on and have a wizzy instead. Have a wizzy. It's fizzy. It outsized. It outsold Coke like three to one in the area. Sometimes I think it was something to do with the water, which was chemical and undrinkable out of the tap, but mixed with wizzy syrup, it had an almost addictive quality, and even devout beer drinkers would have at least one wizzy cola with lunch. I think that's one of those things it's missing these days in the world. is those local brands that you would find in, in different areas that just don't exist anymore. And now that we've become all homogenized and mallized and everything is the same and every store is the same and every fast food restaurant is the same and every place you eat is exactly like the other place. It just makes me miss things that were unique i came across something the other day that was unique to my generation and i have to play it for you i'm don't think i'm trying to decide whether i'm going to explain it or not but maybe just to give you a little background this is something that every child that was in the school going to school public school back in
1: 1961, heard. Touchdown, every morning, ten times, not just now and then. Give that chicken fat back to the chicken, and don't be chicken again. No, don't be chicken again. Push-up, every morning, ten times, push-up, starting low, once more, on the rise, nuts to the flabby guys, go, you chicken fat, go away, go, you chicken fat, go, good morning, hands on hips, place, now then, touch your toes with down, up, every morning down. Ten times, not just up. Now and Four. then up. Five. Give that up. chicken fat sacks to the chicken up. And so be chicken again No, don't be chicken, up. Again. Up. No, don't be chicken again And halt hit the dirt, hit yep. Push-ups next, nice and steady, not too fast, ready Push-up, up. down, every morning Through the glabby guys Go, you chicken fat Go away Down, go, you chicken down, fat Go and Halt, now struggle up to your feet Struggle Struggle. March in place March, March. Left, left, left oh, Left a good pound and a quarter Was it right? Right that it should be left Yes, I left Good, pounded in a quarter. It was right, right, left, right, right left. And hold. One, two, next, sit-ups. Everybody's favorite, so on your back, drop. All right, girls, you're in this, too. Arms over hand, flop. Come on, girls. Now, sit up.
0: Uh, We were a much different breed in those days, weren't we? (laughs) I think that came out in 1961. And as I recall the story, and I'm not going to look it up because I'm not sure, but from what I heard somewhere, someone in President Kennedy's administration or maybe himself decided that American children were getting too overweight and too lazy and weren't in good enough shape. So he sent this record around to from as far as I know every public school in the United States and every morning as I recall the thing went on for like 10 minutes maybe 8, 9, 10 minutes and before school or during our physical education classes we would be out there getting rid of the chicken fat with the great Robert Preston singing that amazing song and again, it's like I was talking about those things that resonate. I just remember so well being this scrawny kid in 1961, going to school and having to be out there with all of the like, you know, kids that were in good shape and stuff. And I'm out there trying to do 10 push-ups and 10 touchdowns. They called them toe touches and everything else that's in the chicken fat record. And, you know, I guess I could have been traumatized, but I wasn't. I mean, I, I, I guess I wasn't anyway. But I mean, imagine, imagine, if you will, in today's world, trying to get an entire country to do anything, much less trying to get school children all over this country to do exercises to the chicken fat record. In those days, if the president wanted you to do exercises to the chicken fat record, you just did exercises to the chicken fat record, man. You, you got up and you did it. And um your physical education teacher or somebody be up there with a whistle around their neck wearing shorts most likely and uh, a sweatshirt of some time. Now remember, a lot of times now, you didn't get to do this in your gym clothes. And maybe one day we'll we'll talk about the um, degradation that we're, were school gym uniforms. But um, you didn't do this in your gym clothes. I mean, I, I remember doing this, you know, in my regular street clothes, because they just called you out of class, and you went down to the auditorium or the cafeteria. If you didn't have an auditorium, you went down to there, and you um took your shoes off, and then you did the chicken fat record, and you did it in your regular clothes, and they would get sweaty and dusty from getting on the floor, and you you went back to class in that condition, and that was what you did, because that's what children did in those days and that's what schools did in those days and uh you didn't dog it during the chicken fat record because one of the teachers would see you and of course there would be one of those kids that would always say hey you know what we were back there he's he not really chicken fat and he's just kind of dogging it he's not he didn't do 10 push-ups and he didn't go down nice and low he barely bent his elbows that scrawny guy he didn't he's not really doing it so there'd be one person that, that rats out everybody. You know, you had that guy in your class or that girl in your class that to just told on everybody. Well, that's radio for right now. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing it for you. And I promise, 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 promise faithfully that I'll be doing it on a more regular basis moving forward now that I'm back home and feeling better. It's radio. I'm Ray Weaver. Thanks for listening.